The Witching Hour with Aaron Mazza is a Mind Garden Media podcast in association with Screw You Todd Productions. My name is Aaron Mazza, and this is The Witching Hour. Hey everyone, it's Aaron. I really hope you enjoyed last week's episode with the wonderful Freighter Tenebris as we discussed his upcoming book, The Philosophy of Dark Paganism, and I know you're really going to enjoy this upcoming episode with the wonderful Ariana Serpentine as we discuss her upcoming book, Sacred Gender. And also, speaking of the show, yours truly has begun a Patreon to help support the show and be able to create even more content. Patrons will receive rewards from shoutouts to monthly free readings in a monthly live stream book club. Become a patron at patreon.com backslash Aaron Mazza. That is patreon.com backslash Aaron Mazza. And as always, everyone, if you have any questions, you know where to find me. Enjoy the show. Hi, Ariana. How are you? I'm doing great. How are you doing? I'm doing good. I'm, I was just enjoying a fine 85 degree day here in St. Louis. So I'm, I'm very grateful for that. So the first question I want to ask you is a question I'm curious about with everybody is how did you get started on this path? Uh, about when did you start practicing? Oh, um, well, I was interested in books on the occult when I was young and I would um, find them and read them when I could as a teenager. Um, it wasn't until my late teens that I met other pagans and witches at a social function. There was a pagan coffee in my town that I went to. Then I took a class on it. <laughs> and when I say on it, uh, it was kind of condensed. It was a year-long course being put on by a local uh, BTW uh, witch that was um, witchcraft, specifically in paganism in general. It was a really good introductory course for us. And so... That was when I was, I think I was 18 or 19 when I did that, and it's been since then. So that's that was in the late 90s, um, to give you an idea. Oh, see, I think stuff like that's so cool whenever you discover the craft at an early age, mm-hmm. because I grew up in southeastern Podunk, Oklahoma. Mm-hmm. <laughs> I dealt with the opposite. They, they didn't want me even going remotely looking at the occult section in the Barnes oh, & yeah. Noble. Yeah, I definitely had to sneak sneak some books around my family, you know. But uh, I do think I, yeah, I probably had a better, better options where I was at the time. So. so how would you define the role of the witch in like the modern day community? Well, I like to think of a witch as a heretical practitioner of spiritual arts, right? You have um, the people that you go to for, for ma- spiritual matters that are official and orthodox. And then you have the people who are in the background kind of hacking the system and doing it their own way. And, you know, traditional roles of witches, often you go to a witch to accomplish something that you aren't able to accomplish otherwise, to bring yourself blessings or to bring somebody else trouble um, or to find love um, when the normal methods aren't working for you. And I still see that being a role that witches take a lot is um, when the normal methods aren't available to you, you go to somebody with magical expertise and experience, somebody who is um, outside the orthodox answers that you have been getting. 
um, and will approach things from a different angle. And so I see it as a role of liminality um, because the witch is always a little bit outside of the main firelight, right? Even if we mm -hmm. have our own hearts. And I see it as a role of um, providing different options and different connections and different ways of looking at things, especially spiritual things. I love that. I, I wrote down whenever you said it was hacking the system. And I had never thought about using that in reference to witchcraft. And it makes perfect sense to think about because we're achieving like the same ends. But then also, like you just said, we're just going about it in the same way and we're making it accessible to everybody. Mm -hmm. And there are definitely like mainstream Orthodox spiritual specialists that somebody can go to. But what witches tend to do is build on the existing frameworks and come to their own conclusions about them and apply those conclusions practically in the form of magic, if that makes sense. That makes perfect sense. It's like a, it that makes me compare it to computer stuff. It's kind of like a, we're going to get the same ends and possibly a better result, but with a lot less of the red tape. Mm -hmm. What is your definition of magic? I like to get this because I know after so many years, uh, a person's definition of magic evolves uh, like even on a daily basis. Well, so what, what is Ariana's uh, definition of uh, magic today? That's a tough one because there are so many ways of looking at it and asking what it is. But I think that for me, magic is finding a way to negotiate with reality, usually through the intermediary of non-physical beings. A lot of magic involves that, that I've observed and that I've, I've been part of or connected to, not all of it. But there is an attempt, always an attempt to, um, to alter what is going on or alter current circumstances. Um, again, through, uh, how do you put it? Through conclusions drawn from specific frameworks, from spiritual frameworks that people have. So I guess that's the short answer. <laughs> altering reality by by negotiating with it see i like to get that because uh every definition that one hears about magic is is the correct one and that and that's just the beauty of it all is is uh no dogma whatsoever thank god thank gods mm -hmm. sounds good and let's uh let's dive in to your book which i'm really enjoying like uh i love how in the first chapter that you discuss what is gender and you give one of the most articulate definitions and explanations to that but how do you feel about people who are not part of the binary gender like how do you feel about the visibility of trans and non-binary people in magical and witchcraft spaces what do you think the biggest issue is facing us well, see, in magical and witchcraft spaces, I look at magic, witchcraft, and paganism, um, all of these different, many overlapping circles, right? All of them are subcultures, and one of the things that always happens with subcultures is that they're all, they all have shadows of the overculture in them, right? So, like, anything that's a problem on a broader scale is going to be a problem, probably in a slightly different way, or maybe in a more concentrated way in smaller cultural groups like that. And so we still do face and have to deal with bigotry. And it's interesting because gender non-conforming people, trans people, non-binary people have always been part of magic and have always been, you know, um, accorded some understanding of having a different spiritual experience 
and perhaps facility than other people do in a lot of places and times. And at the same time, we've got this overculture that's very um, cis-sexist. It's very based on the idea that um, you are the gender that was assigned to you at birth, and that's the only way that somebody can be. And so the assumptions that are built based on that worldview are assumptions that exclude us, um, that don't make room for us, or when they do, it's grudging room, but we still have to fit ourselves into one of two clearly labeled boxes, and generally the one that we were assigned at birth through no fault of our own, right? Um, so there's that. And the other thing, the other big thing that I think uh, that's being faced is, um, I will say a lot of the uh, oppressive gender binarism uh, that we do sometimes see in witchcraft and paganism comes ultimately from, you know, source of the culture of white supremacy and, um, mm -hmm. and racism like you know, colonialism too, because uh, colonization spread this particular idea of very strict binary gender. And, you know, those are the ghosts that we're dealing with, right? And living people that we're dealing with too. But, you know, all of this cultural force of oppression. So, And it's just interesting that, like, we have to deal with that because if you look at uh, just like, in the past, I was, read a book called, uh, what was it, Blossoms of Bone. Mm. And it talked about, uh, like, the history of trans and queer people in, like, magical circles and, like, occult history. And how we've, like, basically written most of occult history, but in the world today, we just won't be recognized as making that contribution. Because we live, we're seeing the world and gender through the lens of a uh, tyrannical religion. Mm -hmm. Absolutely. I, I have to say, I love that title so much, Blossoms of Bone. And uh, I'm surprised I haven't read this yet, but I want to now. So. I, will, I will send you a picture of the cover. Amazing. And it talks about like, uh, it, it, it's just beautifully written. And I got it off of a Temple of Witchcraft site. Ooh. And I kind of had to hunt for it, but it was pretty. It was pretty inexpensive whenever I found it. But it's definitely a classic in my book. I also like to talk about uh, just the book in general. Just what was the catalyst that got you to put pen to paper, or got you to start typing away, or making a skeleton for this book? Because a book like this just doesn't pop up. Now, there are there are a lot of factors. Um, I will say bits and pieces of the book uh, come from blog posts that I've done over the last like. 10, 15 years, just as I, because I came out close to it, or well, I came out as trans close to a decade ago. I came out as queer in middle school. So over the, over the past 10 years or so, I've had thoughts about things as incidents occur in community around me or in community involving me. Um, and, you know, I've written about things like different understandings of mystery rights and other things that you know, are problematic or harmful to trans and non-binary people and community in little bits and pieces, but it hadn't come together in a book until um, oh, the catalyst. I was taking a class that was kind of like a um, spiritual workshop, a long spiritual workshop um, that was focused on creativity and certain spirits involved with creativity. And 
by the end of the class, there is the idea that a, a seed for a project would form. And that was what this book came out of. And that was like three years ago now uh, that I did the class and I wrote the book, most of it about two years ago now. But a, a bunch of things came together and I just realized that I had enough thoughts that were shaped like a book that I could probably make it into a book. And I hadn't seen a book like it before. So I figured somebody might be interested in publishing it. And luckily I was right. So <laughs> Yeah, I can definitely say I was excited whenever I got whenever I got this book because cool. just like you said I'd never yeah, I got I got one of the uh uncorrected proofs. And this book is definitely a first of its kind. I'm going to say it's kind of a, uh, it, it's going to be a flashlight for people like us in this community because oh, plenty yeah. of other like uh, queer, like uh, witches and stuff like this, but this book right here has a flavor to it. And I feel like it's going to give people out there hope who are in our community, you know? Yeah, I do hope so. That's, that's really what I want. And I, I didn't intend, I don't intend the book as, as being the end to any conversation, but I do hope for it to be the beginning of many conversations that need to be happen, happening and need to happen and need to happen more publicly too. Well, it is Sacred Gender, and it looks like it comes out from the back of the book in November of this year. November 8th on an eclipse, a blood moon mm. eclipse. That's awesome right there. I but love it. It, I, like you said, this is definitely going to start conversations because I I have friends who have been dealt with uh, adversity in various circles, like ceremonial magic circles, and <laughs> I myself have dealt with uh, with adversity in witchcraft circles. Myself being andro and non-binary, mm -hmm. and uh, it is this. I was feeling sort of listless there for a while, but. Uh, the spirits knew whenever I needed, whenever I needed a love letter from them, that that everything was going to be okay. And here, and here came your book. Well, I'm glad it was that. Uh, I'm glad it was that for you, and I hope it is for a bunch of other people too. Um, I tried to write something that would have helped me 20 years ago, um, something that I really would have liked to encounter early on. Um, and there's so much more to discuss, and that I was able to fit into this. And there's so much more. Uh, there are many people who have things to say that aren't me that have um, have unique things too, and I really hope that me publishing this. And I've also seen I've seen a couple of other books, um, at least touching on similar themes, coming out in the last six months. I hope that will open the door for a lot more intense conversations about some of these things, because um, there's so many forms of magic and spiritual practice and connection that can come that can come about because of the perspective that folks, that trans and non-binary folks have. Um, there are doors that we can open that, I won't say nobody else can open, but I will say that we have a facility for, absolutely, mm -hmm. because of our experiences, our life experiences, our mysteries. And, you know, I long for um, a time where there's more room for our mysteries and spaces too. And, and that's exactly what I'm hoping for, especially like it's we people like us, we explore different polarities rather than just the male and female polarities. Uh, what was it? And in a book that I read, the title uh, evades me. Uh, the Satyr's Kiss talks about there's more to mm -hmm. working with magic than just male and female. Mm -hmm. It's it was. Uh, and that just blew my mind. I was reading through your book like, oh, the next thing we're going to talk about, like the. Uh, 
like the gods and gender. You touched on some deities in there that I thought were just like super, like the epitome of masculine, of like masculinity, because you see a lot of people hiding behind a lot of that mythology. Mm, right. Masculinity. Oh, so you're you're referencing Dionysus there, right? Oh no, I I was I, oh. I was referencing like Odin. And... Oh, okay, right. Oh, that's you know that's a good point. A lot of people do lean into that, but you know Odin Odin has uh, his feminine side also, um, and that's I mean that's right in the lore. That's uh, that's not we're not talking UPG here. We're talking Locasena. So, yeah. And like even Loki, I I loved the uh, the section in the gods and gender where you talk about Loki because you, I'm not very knowledgeable that I must confess about like the the Norse mythology. Sure, but it's uh you, you just opened up a whole new interest for me in it because I I'm sort of like leery of it because I was told at a pagan festival one time that I couldn't be part of like a heathen community or anything because because I'm queer. But I live in the Midwest and lots of people out here, most of that, a lot of people out here, I'm not going to say all, who hide their bigotry behind Norse terms. Yeah, there is an unfortunate amount of that in heathen community. And by heathen specifically here, I'm referring to Norse and Germanic pagan community. Um, yeah, it's one I used to identify as a heathen and... Um, Honestly, uh, although I do maintain some of the practice personally and will still, you know, occasionally attend rites and connect with people over it, the broader community, I just don't feel, I don't feel comfortable in at this point. Um, and I, I wish for a different experience for other people. Um, I do know there are trans and queer heathens, absolutely, you know, out there. Um, uh, so there is space for it, um, you know, and there are... But, you know, it does run into the same problems. And again, it's very much tied to that same um, period of colonialism and white supremacy that, that you know, rears its head everywhere in our cultures, right? So. Very true. Um, but yeah, no, there's, uh, the Norse material has, um, at very least, you know, complicated relationships with, but an understanding of gender that isn't a strict binary. And a lot of other uh, pagan mythologies and polytheist mythologies do as well. And it's kind of, once you see it, you can't unsee it. It's there. And it's always there. It's something that, as I say, like, you know, I like to say that it's it's a magic that's born into every part of humanity, like we are. And uh, there's no no getting rid of us. <laughs> Now yeah, we're, we're, we've been here for, since the beginning and we're not going anywhere anytime soon. Right. But I did like, uh, you touched on the Dionysus thing just earlier. Mm -hmm. you, you mentioned, uh, you mentioned that, uh, like Dionysus is, I knew Dionysus was really, was very fluid, but I didn't know he was that fluid. And I just thought that that was so cool. And I never thought of would be working with Dionysus to help you be able to express your true self and to express your true gender. Mm. Yeah, he is, um, he is a really fascinating figure that was seen in a lot of different ways in different times and places. And uh, honestly, at some point, if I keep writing books, I'm going to have to do a book about him, or at least about Bacchic religion, you know, it's um, oh, please do fascinating to me and uh endorphism and 
Yeah, um, Dionysus has mysteries tied to understanding yourself, understanding your nature, um, understanding who you are behind the mask. Uh, masks are very important in his worship, or at least at, at places and times were very important in his worship. And um, those doors that he can open to that understanding are very profound. You find that, I think, uh, a lot with the Greek pantheon. See, I saw it a lot more with the Greek pantheon than than I did with the Norse, but maybe that's just because of familiarity more with the Greek pantheon than with the Norse pantheon. I agree with you. It's definitely more visible. And I think part of that is just recorded written material because we have so much, we have many hundreds of years slash millennia of, or at least a millennium of Greek writing about deities. And when I say Greek, of course, like I'm talking the Greek speaking world, not just like Greece, but also all of the, you know, all of the different um, cultures in the Hellenistic world who often, you know, shared those deities. Um, and with the Norse and the Irish materials and some of the other, you know, North, Northwestern European materials, we don't have that much. Um, and we can't say very much about it. So I, I'm willing to bet they'd be a lot more queer if we had more source material like we would see it, so. The book is Sacred Gender by mm -hmm. Ariana Serpentine. And why don't you tell everyone where they can find you online? You mentioned a blog earlier. Oh, sure. Um, yeah, I've blogged in different places and times, but the one that I'm currently working on is Serpent and Tree. It's just Serpent and Tree at WordPress. Um, and uh, you can also find me as Ariana Serpentine on Twitter and on Facebook. Awesome. So what projects are you are you working on in, at this moment? What, what kind of irons do, do you have in the fire right now? Well, let's see. I'm looking at relaunching doing um, readings and spiritual consultations and spiritual guidance sessions. Um, that's going to be up on my blog, uh, an official page for it coming soon. I was doing that for a while, but I took a little hiatus and I'm ready to pick that back up. Um, so, you know, providing, doing uh, mundane style readings for people, but also um, with, uh, with a specialty of being able to provide spiritual guidance if, you know, I've experienced a lot of different um, magical and modern pagan traditions. And um, if it's something that I can't help you with, I'll at least try and find you someone who, who can, you know, um, because I also know what I don't know. Um, I've also been running, I've started running um, uh, devotional meditations. Uh, it's a quiet few minutes away to contemplate slash connect to a deity. Um, and I've been announcing them on Facebook as they come up. I'm looking at putting them on Twitter as well. Um, and putting uh, access to recordings of them on my Patreon. And uh, for long, long-term projects, both I want to do a book on, on Bacchic religion, um, but that's going to take me a while. And the other one is, um, you might might have noticed, I'm, I'm kind of obsessed with snakes. I like snakes a lot. Um, uh, and part of the reason is because they're everywhere, right? Um, in every cultural mythology, there's, you know, snakes show up and are important in some way, or almost everyone. And so I intend to... Um, there's going to be a book about that, about about serpents and magic and serpents and religion at some point too. And that's one of the ones that I've started doing some research on. 
That's so cool. I'm glad I really got to, I've, I've been looking forward for this uh, ever since I sought you out to get you on the show. I've been looking forward for the, to this conversation. I was also going to ask like about exercise where you talk about like transing the gods. Right. I'm sure that someone is not going to be pleased with that, but you know. That's their issue, um, not, not ours. Exactly, exactly. So there are a couple of different ways of looking at this, and, and it's just that, in my opinion, we assign gender to other human beings, and we, you know, if we're being open-minded about it, allow them to, to assign it to themselves, too. Deities as beings aren't human. Um, if you conceive of them as beings um, in some way, or even if you don't, they're not human. Um, and we don't know why, although we can make some assumptions about it, um, the ancestors chose to call a deity by a certain gender, or perhaps why that deity manifested as that gender to those people. We don't really have that. Mm -hmm. um, what that suggests to me and something that I know other people who have done a lot of spirit work um, resonate with is that gender for them is more relational. It's more about our relationship with them and the kind of relationships that they have with us than it is about a fixed quality for them. Um, and honestly, to some extent, that's what it is about for us also. But um, because of that, I encourage people to, one, um, I encourage trans and non-binary people to find our own narratives among the deities. Because one of the things that I've constantly seen with people when, because we're always striving for, for representation, for good repre representation. So the media discussions that trans folk have among ourselves where we're like, no, that character is totally a trans woman. I can tell, like, have you seen the way that she acted? Or that person is, you know, that person has no gender at all. Like they set it down and said, no, thank you. when it was handed to them. <laughs> um, we have these discussions about characters um, in media and mythology. Well, mythology isn't necessarily the be all end all of understanding deities. Mythology is a way that we approach it. And mythology is another form of media and storytelling. Um, and so understanding the deities differently and seeing those narratives um, like, for instance, I talk about how I know transmasculine people who see a positive, healthy masculinity in, in the stories of Ingvi Frey that they connect to their own, um, their own experiences, you know. Mm -hmm. um, I feel like it's, um, I feel like it's valuable to find that because I want everyone, I want our people to be able to see themselves among the stars, right? Oh, so many religions have this painted picture of the cosmos and right now culturally it's all pink and blue um and leaves no room for those of us who cross the binary or who dance across it or who ignore it you know um it's all just pink and blue and everybody deserves to see themselves among the stars so that's absolutely beautiful i that's that was almost poetic <laughs> thank you and the other thing that i encourage is Think about what would happen if a deity came to you in a vision or something and they were presenting as a different gender than they standardly are, uh, the, than they're generally seen. Um, how would that affect how you see the deity? How would that affect how you feel about that being or spirit, you know? Um, 
Would that have an effect in that way at all? What would that mean? What would it mean to you to see, um, you know, if you saw a vision of Apollon as a woman, or if you saw a vision of um, uh, Aphrodite as a man, you know, what would that mean to you? Hey, there's a Bjork song about that, by the way, Venus as a Boy. Um, oh, oh. Not quite, I just remembered the title, but anyway, thematic, thematically appropriate. So yeah, um, I think that gender is something that is culturally assigned to deities and spirits. And I think that we should be able to play with that. And I think that playing with that might help us understand them better rather than lead us away from a better understanding of them, so. Yeah, it's a, it takes me back to my days when I was in seminary and I learned the phrase finitum non compax infinitum, which means the finite cannot comprehend the infinite. Mm. So we shouldn't try to uh, shove these cosmic beings into our little boxes because that's mm -hmm. like trying to put that's like trying to put a put a waterfall in the bathtub. That's that's just not going to work. Absolutely. Absolutely. Another deity that I feel like I am especially connected to and that I really want to get your opinion on is I'm very close to Hermes. Mm. And I've always seen them as kind of uh, androgynous because they're one of the only gods who's most of the time depicted without a beard and mm -hmm. doesn't have like a female consort and always has sort of a, uh, an androgynous face, you know? Yeah, a lot of people relate to, relate to Hermes as non-binary or androgynous in some way. Um, I also see that in um, uh, some places in the uh, astrological community where they um, where Mercury, the planet, who is, you know, interchangeably Hermes uh, to some people, um, people will use they, them pronouns specifically for Mercury while they use he and she for the other planets um, because of the, the kind of non-binary nature and liminal nature. Mercury, or I'm sorry, Hermes, we're talking Hermes specifically here, is so... Um, is so liminal, right? I mean, they travel everywhere through all of the worlds. They can communicate with everyone. They are the one who knows a guy. Like, either they can do it or they know a guy who can do it. Um, yeah, Hermes is fantastic, and Hermes is a very queer deity, and Hermes also feels as a very androgynous deity to me, too, and to a lot of other people. Uh, no gender, only speed. <laughs> <laughs> no gender, only run. Yes. <laughs> no gender, only wings on my feet. That, that's mm -hmm. th that's all that matters. But it's I was going through like your the I, I just got s stuck for a while in the gods and gender thing because I'm just mm -hmm. like like you mentioned earlier, it's not going to make some people very happy. Yeah. And it's uh some people just like I said, we shouldn't try to put infinite beings in a box like so what let's say zeus zeus was a shapeshifter and he is mm -hmm. almost the uh he, he is almost the quote-unquote epitome epitome of masculinity but that dude would change into animals and have sex with people <laughs> and uh also you know i didn't bring it up but um reading mythology there is some uh androgyny there with zeus too i will bring up he um he shapeshifted into Artemis or into a, the resemblance of Artemis um, to get with a nymph. I don't remember, I, I misremember the name of the nymph right now. But, um, and also he, uh, he gave birth to Dionysus in an act that at least in, um, <clears throat> in Dionysiaca, um, uh, Nanus's uh, epic Dionysian poetry, um, 
Semelay is like, you know, and he gave birth defying nature, you know. Um, so even he has some androgyny to him, um, which I wanted to throw in there. See, I heard that Dionysus had came into being uh, in an unconventional way. I'm trying to think of the, the Greek god that was born out of Zeus's hip. Uh, that was Dionysus. He was oh. born out of his thigh. Yeah, Athena was born out of his forehead and Dionysus. Um, Dionysus was, his uh, mother was destroyed when she, she asked to see Zeus's full form and a mortal can't really encompass that. So she, she immolated uh, when she saw Zeus's true form and um, Zeus took his, uh, took the child from her womb and sewed, uh, sewed him into his thigh until he developed. And then he gave, he gave birth through his thigh. He unstitched his thigh and Dionysus popped out. Oh, wow. Um, yeah, it's a very intense story. I, um, <clears throat> I didn't, I was like, hmm, how many trigger, trigger warnings can, should be on this one before I can, you know, conclude with it. It's an <laughs> intense story, but, um, yeah, no, he, he gives birth to Dionysus in his own way, too. And Dionysus, in that version of the story, is a um, reincarnation of Zagreus, who is a reincarnation of Phanes, like the primordial gendered being. So, The one who is all genders and everything all at once. Yeah. Well, I again, I really enjoyed visiting with you today, and yeah. we've covered all, all the bases that all the questions I could think of right now. So if I think of any more, I'll just try to get you back on the show again. Well, that sounds great. I've had a, you know, it's been a pleasure talking to you. So I really enjoyed talking to you too. And the book again, folks, is A Sacred Gender by Ariana Serpentine. And tell them about your, your blog again. What's that blog address? It's serpentandtree.com. Serpentandtree.com. Slide on over there and see what you've got going on, folks. Uh, I will talk to you soon, Ariana. Talk to you soon. Thanks a lot.